Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs here on Cliff Central. Ah, oh, Luby, I'm so glad that you are back here in studio with us. How are you feeling? Because you were down in Cape Town doing all sorts of stunts and crazy stuff. That's what what, what Instagram was telling me anyway. <laughs> Has it been that long? It's so good to be back home. And I can't believe we're in a new time slot. So much changes when I'm not here around, Gareth. So much changes. And this, this time slot's quite nice because, of course, we miss traffic and all those wonderful things. But it also really means that I get to see you early on a third day. <laughs> um, anyway, it's good to be anyway. back home. It's good to to be back home. How, how are things been keeping? No, very, very, very good. We yeah. had some great conversations last week. Again, we're going to have some good conversations this week. Do you want to quickly tell everyone what's going to be happening at the half hour? Because we've got something nice, special lined up. Oh, so we were at the Careers 24, the Leaderx at the Santon Convention Center. And as per usual, as per the year before, I think our stand was one of the most attended, pumping, pumping, rocking, most yeah. influential. And you know what? We had so many different discussions about. About, um, leadership about women, obviously it being Women's Month, to MBA or to not MBA, yep, whatever great what are the, the CEO questions. But you will hear all about that at half past one. At half past one, and so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be playing one of the conversations that we had. It was a panel discussion. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk to the CEO of the Franklin Covey Institute, really, uh, and the, the the organization here in South Africa. It's a multinational, um, the, the brand Stephen Covey. We uh, do only have the best on our show, don't we? Uh, it really is one of the best. He's, he was regarded while he was alive as one of the best business coaches. I think, am I getting it right, um, Marlene? Is, is that correct? Bus- best business coaches? That is correct. Actually, Stephen Covey was regarded as the most influential business coach in the 21st century. Oh, wow. And okay. here she is. And, and and so you sit here with that <laughs> brand on your shoulders, wow. that, that weight. Wow. Um, really helping people to align with what he was teaching through Franklin Covey, right? Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the work that we do is around behavior change. We're looking for results. Mm. Around behavior change, what specifically can people do in their behavior every day that will give them the results? Before we continue any further, introduce yourself. Who are you and what is your position at Franklin Covey? I have the responsibility of being the game changer. So I'm the CEO. Yes. I really am the game changer in the business. <laughs> I love that. Eh? I love it when guests come on and they say, I'm a game, ch- game changer. Fantastic. Have Sorry. To be, have to be. And... I really feel so privileged to have that position. I have an incredible team that helps me at the back. So I'm expected to be pretty and my team does all the other work. <laughs> so, okay. Um, just tell just it so, like it is. <laughs> everyone that wants to be a CEO, it's not actually a prerequisite to be pretty, but it really does help. <laughs> That's why I'm where I am, right? Yes. Come on. Say. <laughs> Oh, well, welcome, welcome. We're very grateful to have you. Let's talk a little bit about your journey because we do want to understand who you are before we understand why you are where you are. Who are you? Just tell us a little bit about your background. How did you grow up? Um, some detail, please. You know what? A lot of people don't know about me or may not even realize as they engage with me is that I grew up in a township in Phoenix. Okay. In Durban. Mm. It's a very poor township. My dad never went a day alive, a, a day in his life to school. Oh my gosh. Wow. My mum taught my dad how to read and write and sign his name. 
And he is a successful businessman today. Mm, very nice. He has taught me mm. that hard work never kills anybody. Mm. He has taught me that if you're going to dream, dream big. And that is something that has stayed with me. It has journeyed with me. As I looked around when I was growing up in the township, I knew that I will not be a statistic of drug abuse. I knew I will not be a statistic of teenage pregnancy. How did you, how did you do this though? So there's so many social pressures out there. How did you rise above them? I cannot give you an answer apart from saying that in my thread of being, I knew that I was a product of my choices, not my circumstances. And as, as I say that, that is so embodied in the work of Covey. Yeah. Because it is habit one. It's be proactive. But when I was growing up, I didn't know that. Mm. But it kind of stayed in my thread of being. And when I came across the Covey material, it's so aligned with who I am. Wow. Yeah, that's nice. Wow. So you grew up a young lady, young girl, dreams. What happened after you left home? So when I was growing, and uh, if you, you do you know the Phoenix area? I Not do, really. I do. Not I actually really. I did some volunteer service where we actually start, I lived in Phoenix. Okay. Um, because we were working in Komashu. Yes. Um, and our, the, the area that we stayed was in Phoenix. So oh, so you would know that... Very close to Phoenix is a, is an area called Amshlanga. I don't know whether I'm saying it correctly, but it's a, it's a very wealthy area. And I would drive past this area and I would say to my parents, I'm going to live there. Mm. That is where I wanted to be. I, I had this dream that I was going to have my own business. My dad started with nothing, not even having a day of school and he's run successful businesses. And I knew that that is something that I would do. I had, when I was in school, I would have guys in my class that would say, Oh, you're just so fancy and you're an ice queen and you sound like this and you sound like that because I have this accent. And, and I said, well, someday when I'm the CEO of my own company, you will not be anywhere around. Amen. Hallelujah. So I would love to see those people now, mm. of course, because I kind of, I knew that the choices that I make will propel me to where I need to be. What I'm hearing you say here is that you were very comfortable with being different. I was, yeah. Absolutely. Were you, were you forced to be different? Yes, it seems like your circumstances forced you to be different from what was perceived maybe as mainstream or norm or the desired norm sometimes. Um, but then you also seem to want to be different. I don't think I was forced to be different. I chose to be different. Okay. I chose that I'm going to. So when I did my first degree, I majored in drama and English, and I deliberately taught myself how to speak in a very particular way, how to not sound mm. like, mm. you know, I was correct. not, you know, I, I needed know. to be confident and firm and deliberate. And, and I gave myself those kind of characteristics mm. so that I could stand out. Everywhere I went, I, I kind of just attracted people to me. It wasn't something that I did deliberately. I didn't go out and say, oh, well, I, I need to have the light shine on me. Mm. But the manner in which I would engage with people, people automatically took to me. And as we engaged, 
people would come to realize that I have so much value to add in conversation, in situations, in and when when you think about that, it wasn't something that I I planned on doing. It was in my being. Mm. If you just the choices that I've made, I would deliberately choose thinking about well what is the circumstance what is the the consequence that comes with this choice mm. because choices are your own but consequences are not mm. every choice has its own set of consequences mm. so you studied i did a ba in uh, education at psychology, uh, when did you do that? That was recently at UP, mm-hmm. uh, psychology, sociology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I keep thinking, you know, when I did my first degree mm-hmm. and, you know, how it is when you go to university, you kind of spend a lot of time in the calf and uh, yeah, playing, playing pool. pool. <laughs> <laughs> Who does not play pool? <laughs> Your girlfriend. Yes. I don't remember doing anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then doing my, the, the, the last qualification that I've just done, I thought, and I spent so much of time preparing for my lesson. I, I was top 10 at the university, uh, golden key. And I realized, well, what if I'd done the same thing when I did my first degree? I know, I know. I was younger. My brain was better. I could have had such great, um, results. And um, it was fine. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of what my studies looked like. You seem like a woman now, the woman that's sitting across us, who really wants to harness full potential and harness talent and really engage with people. How has those characteristics molded you into leadership position? What does that say about leadership position? And what can we learn as young entrepreneurs, especially dynamic women, about creating that um, access of building successful CEOs? You know, what I really have learned as I've engaged with people, though, is that as you go further up in your career, you must lift other people with you. So as you rise, lift. And what we have a tendency of doing a lot of times is when you get to a higher position, people have a tendency of stumping other people down. And I just cannot understand that. When you... As you rise, lift. And women especially lift other women. Show them that they can do it. Give them the the confidence that you can do it. Yeah, but uh, I see, I, I like it. It sounds nice, but it sounds a little too fluffy for me. Because <laughs> um, I can understand why someone wouldn't lift while they are l- rising themselves. Because, well, the, the pie is small. There isn't always enough for everyone. So uh, what happens if I'm in a position where I'm hearing you say this, I'm, I'm out there, I'm listening, and but the situation that I find myself in is limited. The opportunities are limited. And now you're saying give the opportunity to someone else. And and that's where I would disagree with you, Gareth, because it is all about your paradigm. It's not about the size of the pie. Okay. Because the pie is big enough for everybody. It doesn't look like that from my perspective. And when you when you have an abundant mentality, so Correct. scarcity mentality is mm. oh I've just got to keep it here and it's mm. all mine. Mm. Okay. An abundant mentality is if I see you growing. It gives me 
confidence in knowing that you have both the character and the capability of doing what you are great at. And I want you to have the opportunity to. And as a CEO, I need to unleash that talent. Mm. I need to find what is it that burns inside of you that if harnessed, you will go to the ends of the earth to make it happen. And we can all benefit from that because you've had your creativity in it. You've had your hand in it and you have brought your best self to that so that I can bring my best self to it. So I guess what I hear you saying is first a rising tide lifts all ships. I think that's really what we're hearing here. But then also that the opportunity to help people grow must not be without context. You must be doing it within a particular set of circumstances, maybe within an organization. If that organization grows, if they're able to utilize the strengths that you're describing, well, then the organization will grow and we all grow together. Absolutely. I think that's what I'm hearing. Absolutely. You've had many key achievements as a CEO, one of them being the President's Award for Highest Growth in the Company, the Vice President's Award for the Highest Sales. What does that mean to you? It means that we can do it. We came on the back of a company that was dying, literally being in the country for very many years. In 2011, the license agreement was severed. Yeah. And... Um, can I ask dying why? Because the, the Franklin Covey brand is massive. The Stephen Covey brand is massive. The, um, the, his books are still bought all over the world all of the time. And you see, so what is happening is a lot of people see Franklin Covey as, oh, they are the seven habits people. Mm. They are the, um, the motivation people. Mm. And s- Franklin Covey is so much more. Okay. It's more than seven habits. It's leadership. It's execution. It's productivity. It's sales performance. It's trust. It's education. There's a a customer loyalty. There's a myriad of things that we do. And as we do that, it's not just about personal effectiveness. We are talking about results inside of an organization because we are saying organizations in themselves don't exist. People exist. A a network of people exists for a common cause. Absolutely. And if we get these people's energy Mm. aligned towards the highest priorities of the organization. Mm. So if we think about what are the hallmarks of great organizations, sustained superior performance, Mm. engaged employees, Mm. loyal customers, and a winning culture. Mm. Now, if you have a group of people that have a set of characteristics that's driving towards that, led by great leaders with a maniacal focus on execution – Where do you think those companies will be going? Are you saying that that is what you were able to then bring back into Franklin Covey when you took over? That is the thing that we are underpinning. That is what we drive. As we engage with organizations, our key driver to them is that we about results. Mm. We want you to have results. Results are very important to us. We are a big brand internationally, locally. We want results for our company Mm. and therefore results for you in your company is equally important to us. Well, it means results for your company. Yes. You know, it's it's our reputation on the line. Mm. So you came in at a quite a low level with Franklin Covey. You you bought the license, is that correct? That's correct. You you own the license. That is correct. Um, talk us through an early success 
but we don't just want successes on future CEOs. Tell us about the an early mistake that you made as well that you can look back on and you can uh, you've taken a really good lesson from. Please. Oh my God! I've, this lesson it will live with me forever. It's a big lesson because it cost me a lot of money. Mm, an expensive lesson. <laughs> it's ah. an expensive lesson, uh, close on to half a million kind of lesson for an up-and-coming organization or individual. It's a lot of money. You know, it, it is, might yep. be pocket change to some people, but it was not to us. And so here we were looking at an opportunity to invest in an organization or what we thought was a great greenfields project. And this individual skipped with our money. Mm. What is the biggest lesson is that you can do business with people that share in, that have great intent and integrity. Integrity and intent of the people that you engage with is so important. And funnily enough that you asked that question because those are some of the pillars that we talk about in what are the four cores of credibility mm-hmm. that makes for trustworthy individuals. Mm. You know, integrity, intent, capability, and results. Mm. It really is. I like that. That's a nice, uh, very nice. Very nice, yeah. Um, what can I ask you? I, I, I was not American film set, so I'm like, ask, ask. Yeah, yeah. Um, books. Something that future CEOs should read. Just to become better entrepreneurs. I have very many books that I would just say, you know, read all of Stephen Covey's books, firstly, and read Stephen M. R. Covey, The Speed of Trust. Over and above that, though, there's some really good material in Ram Charan's book, What the CEO Wants You to Know, mm. which talks about mm, the money-making model. So a lot of people go into business and don't understand what is the money-making model, Correct. what is the margin, growth, velocity, mm. customers, That's cash so flow. How does those Five things in business work. And as a, as a CEO or an upcoming entrepreneur, I need to understand that regardless of whether I'm a street vendor or whether I'm the CEO of a large company, the principles are the same. And having a key understanding of that is important. Jim Collins talks about the hedgehog concept. He talks about the three things that if I want to go into business, I have to be passionate about what I do. Now, often you would hear people would come up. I I hear this all the time. People come up to me and say, you sound so passionate. And that is what people buy. They buy your passion for what you do. Jim Collins also says that you must be best in class to offer that. So why does the, why is that important? It's important because it gives you confidence that if you're passionate, you're best in class, you can offer this with, with confidence. And the final piece he talks about in this hedgehog concept is what is the economic driver? What is the economic engine? 
Would you be able to make money? Yeah, do something that people will actually pay you for. Pay you for. And, yep. you know, and so you talk about, and I know uh, Clem Santa also talks about the, the fox. And in business, you need to have the both. Mm. You need to have the agility and mm. the cunningness of a fox. Mm. Keep your eye on the ball. Mm. And you need to have the, the introspection of a hedgehog. And by the way, the hedgehog concept, so it's these three circles that then they then illustrate, and then there's a, a sweet spot right in the middle. And that sweet spot is where you should be acting or um, certainly delivering from every single time. Yes. What yes. book was that again? Can you just remind our listeners? It's called Good to Great by that, Jim, yeah. Jim, Col- oh, uh, Jim Collins. Jim that's Collins, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great one. Mm. Connections or skills when you want to succeed in business? I would say a bit of both. Elaborate. If you have all the skills and you don't have great relationships, you just, you can't move it forward. But at the same time, if you just have relationships and you don't have a great skill set, you will let your connections down at, uh, at some stage. And they will not trust you because remember we're saying that trust is born in confidence of two things, character and capabilities. So your skill set must align to that in order to give your relationships an opportunity to take you further. Take it to the next, take level. It to the next level. So you do need a bit of both. With that said, though, it's interesting that you phrase it in that way, you know, Either or There's sometimes When you go into business As I have learned People love what you do And they say that you're so great at it And they say you must go out on your own And you must do this And we will follow you And we will support you You go out on your own You knock on the doors And the opportunities are no longer there People just They just don't feel like they I don't know I, I, I don't understand what the reason is And you realize When you're in business that you have to go and do it on your own. You've got to go there. You've got to make it on your own. You've got to sell your stuff. You've got to be persuasive. You've got to be passionate. And so uh, what I hear you saying here is that you've been now the CEO of Franklin Caviesa for five years. That road has been um, – is littered with – um, some very interesting mistakes, um, great lessons, but then also one hell of a lot of hard work. It, I, I think that's what I'm hearing you Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Um, I do want, because we're running out of time, can you believe how quickly time has moved? It's all, to you almost, forever. almost 20 minutes, 25 minutes already gone. Um, I do want to quickly talk about some of the research that Frank and Covey have just released on trust, because trust is such an important word, and I think we hear it here in studio on an ongoing basis. Mm. Uh, just just one or two very, very quick insights that you have been able to uncover with your research, please. So we did a national benchmark. We had over a 1,000 participants, and the research showed us that the index for trust level, corporate South Africa, is sitting at 57. Now, anything below 60 is regarded as very low. Well, well 57% means… Not fi- it's not a percent. It's an index. Uh, I beg your pardon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I've interrupted you. With the thought, but my thought is now null and void. Go. <laughs> I'm sorry, go, go, go on. It's fine. So it's, it's not a percentage. It is sure. an index score of 100. Sure. So 
If you have 70 and above, it's okay. And of course, 80 and 90 is world class. But we're looking mm. for a score of greater than 65, closer to 70 and above. Mm. 57 is telling us we have a problem. What is the so problem? The problem is that if we do not have high trust, trust impacts innovation. It mm. impacts collaboration. Mm. It impacts agility, so high performance. Think about it. If you're not in a high trust relationship, would you be able to collaborate with me? Never. Yeah. Would you bring your best thinking Never. to the front? Not. Never. And that is what industry needs. We are in a technological age. We need innovative thinkers. We need, so think about our productivity score. If people are not engaged, how are they going to bring their best selves to the organization? Such a such trust a fantastic point. Just just so you know, Clibby, I trust you a lot. No, I completely trust you, Gareth. Well, that's said much better than what I just said to you. <laughs> I um, completely trust you. So our index scoring over here is a nine, <laughs> and and nine point eight. Uh, I'm digging a hole, yes, but, but the hole, but the, but the hole that I'm trying to uh, get out of is a time hole because we have run out of time. I'm very very sorry about that, but maybe what we must do, maybe we must set up another conversation where we can. We need this look at for this, an hour. Exactly, look at this in a little bit more detail. Correct. Um, and really see what it means for all of us as future CEOs. Malini, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. So, could I just tell very quickly that with regards to the trust, mm. in October we're having a conference. 26th of October mm. at the Gallagher Conference Center in Midran. Yes. So if people can just go online, www.speedoftrust.co.za. We have to be there, Gareth. Mm-hmm. And book Agreed. yourselves. Come on. Bring your teams. Stephen M. R. Covey, author of The Speed of Trust, will be there. So the son of the writer of The Seven Habits yep. will be there to be sharing how then can we fix it? Because trust is a learnable skill. Very, very nice. Invite, please. Very, very yes, nice. on, Invite, your, on please. its way. All right, I'm going to have to jump in there Yo. because we have run out of time. Thank you for a fantastic conversation. We are going to be taking a very, very short break, and Luby and I will be up right after this asking the question, are you on the right career path? It is a recording from Leader X 2016. It was a fantastic conversation with some excellent panel members. I hope you enjoy it. Um, we will see you right after this. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com.